Take your Bibles with me this morning and open them to Luke chapter 4. If you do not have a Bible, you are free to use and keep the one that should be in front of you under the seat. We will be in Luke chapter 4 this morning. And while you're turning there, I just want to um, kind of maybe make a shameless announcement here, if I can. Uh, on the last Tuesday night of every month, we are going to start something new as a church at 5.30. We are going to start evangelism, led by our own Jerry Gibson. Uh, Jerry, many of you know, has a tremendous heart to spread the gospel of God in our community, and so he's going to uh, lead our church out in that. So we want to invite you and let you know that you can be a part of that. The last Tuesday night at 5.30 of every month, we'll have different areas of involvement. You can come and write letters. You can come and make phone calls. You can come and prepare goodie bags. You can come and pray, or you can come and go with Jerry out to share the gospel. So um, make note of that in the coming weeks and months. Uh, be a part of that, and even if you have someone that we could visit with and share the gospel with, uh, let Jerry know so we can get on the ball with that, alright? We want to be a church who proclaims the gospel of Christ and the truths that we sing about every week, so. Luke chapter 4, verse 31 this morning is where we will pick up, and we will go through the end of the chapter, verse 44, this morning looking at the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus. Now, authority is the exercising of power. So the one who has the power is the one who has the authority. And all others are to follow and submit to the one with power and the one who has authority. Now, it will not surprise many of us this morning to learn out of Luke chapter 4 that our Lord Jesus possesses all power and therefore possesses all authority, right? It's not going to surprise us to learn of that truth and be reminded of those truths again, but yet it is going to benefit us immensely to be reminded of that truth that Christ Jesus is the one who does possess all authority in creation and in our own lives. And the reason I say it is so important and the reason I say it's going to benefit us is because you and I live in an age and in a time where authority is rejected. Authority is denied and authority is seen as repulsive. You and I may not have any kind of issue whatsoever with the fact that Jesus possesses all power and all authority, but let me tell you, the world has immense trouble with the fact that Jesus possesses all authority. Just to remind you of something you know about the world that we live in, we live in an age, especially in Western society, the culture that you and I are living in now, we live in an age, a time of subjectivity and a time of relevance, don't we? Everything is subject to the interpreter's ideas. And everything is relevant based upon the circumstances or situations you're in. A time where people not only reject absolute authority, but they are taught in our schools even to reject absolute authority. They're taught to reject anything that is objective and interpret everything in life through your own personal lens. However you feel something should be that's 
how it should be. You've, you've heard the familiar phrase in years past, haven't you? What's true for you may not be true for me. It's a subjective idea of truth that is so flippantly tossed around in the world that we live in that stems from an ultimate rejection of authority. There is no absolutes in the day that we live in. And so that has, if you know anything of philosophy and sociology and religion as a whole, that has so crept into the religious system now, so that even in the world we live in, the thought or idea of God being the supreme being in charge is regarded as foolishness. In fact, the very beliefs that you and I hold as Christians or should hold as Christians, the belief that we are responsible to such a God is mocked and ridiculed, isn't it? It's seen as ignorance and it's seen as an illusion of the mind to help you cope with the world's troubles. It's seen as intellectual weakness to believe that there is a God, that He really exists, and that we are responsible to Him. This is the time we live in. So, with such thinking of the world, it's obvious that we see the denial of the authority of Scripture, don't we? We see the denial of being responsible to God as human creatures. We see the denial of God being able to tell us what to do or how to live our lives. And when that happens, church, the floodgates are opened to lose morality, redefine marriage, exist in an ever-changing system of ethics, and to blur the lines of everything you and I know to be right and wrong, truth and relevant, objective and subjective, and so on and so forth down the list. When you begin to deny or live in a place that denies the absolute authority of God, anything goes. Everything is open. I would summarize it like this. The bottom line is that the world is in a heap of trouble because it has so wholesale rejected God, His Word, and His authority. In fact, you'll find a familiar phrase in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. Uh, you'll find it in chapter 17, verse 6, for one instance. It says, every man did what was right in his own sight. Every man, man did what they thought was best, not what God thought was best. That's the time we live in. Where we can deny and reject and ignore the absolute authority of God and begin to do what we want to do in life and interpret things as we want to interpret things. And let me just say, nothing in your life can be right when God is abandoned or dismissed. In fact, nothing in your life can truly be good when God is abandoned and God is dismissed. That's even the beginning of the problem of humanity that we find of Adam and Eve in the garden, isn't it? They rejected the authority of God over them. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And that's the problem of the world today. Every sin or every issue, we could ultimately identify that it comes down to a rejection of the authority of God over us and in our lives. That's the issue with so, so many people today. Your life is wrecked when you don't follow God. Your life is in jeopardy when you don't submit to Jesus Christ. 
your life is in turmoil and will only continue into turmoil when you do not follow the will of God. I promise you that. I know of experience, so many of us know of experience, either firsthand or witnessing somebody else in our lives. Their lives, your life is wrecked when God is not the center. Problems of the world come down to this ultimately. We do not submit to God. In fact, we can even take it further and say that the world actually hates the authority of God. Even the idea of the authority of God, doesn't it? That He is in charge and He must be obeyed and that we have to listen to Him. That's that's rejected. But like I said, if you take away this absolute authority, that leaves no one to answer to. No one we have to be accountable to. All things are open, permissible, subjective, and gray, aren't they? For all those reasons that we've spent some time here talking about, all those reasons should spark within our minds as Bible-believing Christians the importance for us to have a solid understanding and grasp on the authority of God. And what it means for the Lord to have authority over all things. We ought to be able to stand firmly on this truth of the authority of Jesus Christ even as the world increases its denial of this truth. Because I'll tell you, like I've said, nothing will make sense in your life until you first follow Jesus Christ and submit to His will. And even as a church, we have to raise children, we have to convert the lost, we have to guide believers into what is correct, and to avoid what is false, and that cannot be done unless we understand the authority of God. The authority of our Lord. We must know who we are accountable to, we must know who we answer to, we must know who has the authority over our own lives. We must know who has the authority over our churches. And here's the answer. It's not us, right? It's the Lord Jesus. In fact, I would even contend that it is utter foolishness and the height of arrogance to believe and agree that God has all power and yet not to believe in His Son or submit to His will to ignore His authority. That's ultimately what Luke's intention is in chapter 4. The end part of chapter 4 here is he's trying to structure this chapter, this part of his gospel, to convey the utter foolishness for the people of Nazareth in verse 28, 29, and 30 to reject this ultimate authority and the utter blessing that the people of Capernaum receive in listening to this ultimate authority. That's what he wants to convey to his readers. That what happened in Nazareth is not to be mimicked. It's not to be adhered to. It's foolishness. But what happens in Capernaum is what we should be doing as well. Today's passage, these handful of verses, should bring into our hearts a very right perspective of the Lord should be a right perspective on the authority that He possesses and it should be a faithful reminder of who we belong to, who we serve, and whom we must obey. So let's look in Luke chapter 4, verse 31. Luke writes of the Lord and He says, 
And Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And He was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at His teaching, for His word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea and Galilee. The first thing we learn from the passage is found in verse 31 and verse 32. Our Lord Jesus has authority in His words. Authority in His words. In fact, Jesus is the Master Teacher. You can lump together all the great preachers of church history and combine together they do not compare one ounce to Jesus. You can take Charles Spurgeon, John Calvin, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Martin Luther, George Whitfield, and none of them hold a candle to the way Jesus teaches. He is the master teacher. And that is because our Lord teaches with the very authority of God, doesn't He? That's exactly why the people of Capernaum in verse 32 are amazed. They're astonished at Him. He teaches with such authority as this. Again, I want to highlight the difference between the people in Nazareth in verse 28, 29, and 30 and the people of Capernaum. Nazareth rejects Jesus and His authority. Capernaum benefits immensely from Jesus and His authority. They've, they've never heard anyone like this. Mark's account in chapter 1, verse 22, Mark says, He taught not as their scribes, not as anyone they've ever listened to, this man in their synagogue, he has divine wisdom. He has divine understanding. Wasn't that seen in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus was in the temple as a boy? He has divine understanding. His words have divine weight behind them. He speaks with such authority. In fact, 
All other people before Jesus and after Jesus have spoken on second-hand accounts, haven't they? They've relayed what they've received and what they have learned. But here is the one who speaks on a first-hand account. He speaks out of his own nature, out of his own being, out of his own heart, his own character, his own personhood. And he speaks with utter confidence because nothing that he says goes against God. Nothing that he can say is against the rest of Scriptures. He speaks as God. These people are amazed. This one treats the words of God and the message of God as having authority. Such authoritative teaching is clarifying teaching, isn't it? It clarifies for them the truths of God. It's illuminating to them. It's eye-opening for them. It pierces through to their hearts and strikes them in their souls. Words that can even change their very nature if they believe them. It's authoritative teaching that clarifies and provides perfect interpretation of the rest of Scripture. No one can explain the Scriptures like Jesus. It's clarifying teaching that explains God and His ways and His laws and His own heart. This man knows God so intimately, so confidently. Such authoritative teaching is not only clarifying, it's also instructing, isn't it? This man makes the Word of God applicable to us. It's personal and it's life-changing. It provides for us guidance and direction in this life. It gives purpose to us. It's the great longing of the human heart, isn't it? Most of you would agree you want purpose in life. You want to know why you exist, why you're here, what you're supposed to do. This man possesses such authority that his words give us purpose. They guide us and direct us into the very will of God. Instruct us to be holy, to pursue godliness, to love your brothers and sisters, to be a servant, to care for the weak and the orphan and the widow and the homeless and on and on and on. Such authoritative teaching is not only clarifying and instructing, it's also a command. The words that come from the mouth of this individual, the mouth of the Lord, they demand to be adhered to. They demand to be obeyed. Fools are they who reject this teaching for their own devices. This is the words of Him who possesses authority. Such teaching as our Lord's certainly deserves submission, obedience. All this comes to a head to mean that Jesus' words cannot and should not be taken lightly in life. They clarify us for us the things of God. They instruct us in how to live in the ways of God. And they command us to follow after God in obedience and joy for our good and His glory. Here is the one to listen to. Here's the one to adhere to. Here's the one to follow after. He speaks with the authority of God. 
Moving on, the second thing we find this morning is found in verses 33 through 37 and in verse 41. Jesus not only possesses authority in words, he possesses authority in action. And what we find in these verses is that he possesses authority over spiritual things. If the people were astonished in verse 32 at his teaching, they're going to be in utter shock at what he does next, at what happens in the middle of his teaching. They're going to be dumbfounded because a demon-possessed man begins to walk towards him. Enters in and says some very remarkable things about Jesus. Things that guide us into understanding His authority and things that show us why He has authority. And I want you to notice that this demon, these demons know the truth of God and the truth of Jesus Christ. Notice first, they know that Jesus has complete jurisdiction and complete control over them. Because this demon-possessed man looks at Jesus and says, what have you to do with us? What are, you, what are you going to do? How are you going to treat us? It conveys that Jesus can do as He pleases with them. That they are absolutely powerless against Him. This demon, he may possess a human being, but he is utterly helpless against Jesus. What authority does this man possess that the demons are helpless against him? That he has control over them, jurisdiction over them, to command them to do as he pleases and would have them. Second, notice that they know their coming destruction. Have you come to destroy us? He cries out. Have you come to have your way with us? They know that Jesus is the one who is triumphant and that Jesus is the one who will issue their punishment. Jesus is the one who will finally take care of them for eternity. And let's just clarify this destruction. It's not a non-existence. It's a perpetual, eternal destruction in hell. An eternal punishment issued approved and set in motion by this very man, Jesus. The demons don't question His authority. They know His authority. Have you come to destroy us? Is it our time yet? Thirdly, they know the person of Jesus. They call Him the Holy One of God. Why does this man have authority in his words? And why does he have authority over this unclean spirit? It's because he is the Holy One of God. And they know in a far greater way than you and I know the transcendence and the power of this man, Jesus Christ. They know that they don't stand a chance. Well, Jesus' reply to them reveals what kind of power he actually Possesses. He issues to them a strong word of rebuke. Verse 35, be silent and come out of him. And it was so. It happened just that way. Just as creation sprung into existence by the word of God, so too the demons must adhere to the word of God. 
without questioning, without rebellion, without hesitation. I find it so amazing that even those who are 100% against him are subject to his authority. Unless you think that's a fluke deal, you'll see it happen again in verse 41. Many more people come to him with demons, and those demons are crying out, you're the Son of God, and he rebukes them all and doesn't allow them to speak. He handles those too. It means that there is absolutely no power in heaven, no power on earth, no power under the earth that can stand against the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not some small puny God that can be bullied or impaired or ignored. He possesses supreme authority over all things and everyone must give an answer to Him, even the demons. There are no enemies anywhere in existence that have to obey the one whom they're warring against except for the enemies of God. That's seen here by Jesus. Such authority as this that He can command those who are fighting against Him constantly and they must obey. Well, as you know, in verse 36, the people are amazed. What is this word? For with authority and power He commands even the unclean spirits and they come out. They recognize that there's something different about this person, that he is not like the ordinary teacher in the synagogue. He possesses all authority and all power. And I would say that we would do well to recognize the same thing too, right? Don't you think that if Jesus possesses the power over unclean spirits, He possesses power over all spiritual things? And don't you think that if He possesses power over all spiritual things, He has the authority to declare the sinner forgiven. He has the authority and power to work salvation in the soul. To extend grace and mercy to those who have rebelled against Him. I implore you, look no further than Jesus to find the authority to forgive you of your sins. But moving on here rather quickly... He not only has authority over spiritual things, He also has authority over physical things. Verse 38, 39, and 40. Luke wants us to know this fact, that He's not only the supreme authority in the spiritual realm, He's also the same in the physical realm, the place that you and I live, the place that we exist. He possesses the same kind of authority there. We'll see that in other ways throughout the rest of the Gospels. He's going to turn water into wine in John chapter 2. He's going to feed 5,000 people later. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's even going to raise himself from the dead. There's no question. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus possesses authority over all physical things. But Luke wants to bring it in and hone it in on something that's near and dear to his heart by using the miracles of healing. He wants to convey to us that... Jesus has not just authority over the Spirit, but over the body as well. And not just over physical things like water, but over humanity. And this is where the world and most of the unbelievers we know want to bristle up and reject God. To indicate that God has authority over humanity. 
is not a popular concept. But here we see Jesus does possess authority over His creation. We find that now Jesus has entered into Simon's house. And Simon must have had a good mother-in-law because he appeals on her behalf to the Lord. Why not? Jesus has just rebuked a lot of demons. Taking care of spiritual issue. Maybe He can take care of this physical issue. And so the Lord stands over her in verse 39. Such beautiful language used by Luke. Language of authority. He's standing over her and He rebukes the fever. Some more beautiful language by Luke. It's language of authority. To rebuke a fever. Jesus can even speak to an illness and cast it away. He can speak to the internal workings of the human body. All the intricacies and all the complexities. Jesus can set them all right just by His Word. What authority does this man possess over creation? That he can not only rebuke a fever, but verse 39, a fever would actually obey and leave her. And her body would be restored. And immediately she would be restored to a place of being able to serve them. He didn't just take the fever away. He restored her to good health. To energy and to strength. That she could fix supper and serve them drink and meet their needs. It's the same kind of language that we find again at creation. He speaks and immediately it happens. When Jesus issues a decree, there's no one who can stand against it and survive. This is the authority of the man who came to earth for our sins. This is the individual who died upon the cross for you and for me. It adds a whole new element when Paul says in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself, doesn't it? Here's the one who can speak and all things obey. You notice the progression of Luke's structure here in this passage. He possesses Authority in His Word. Now He's going to possess authority in His action simply by His words. And lest you think that's a fluke deal, look in verse 40. As the sun's setting, they're bringing anybody who's sick to Him. It's not just a one-time deal that Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law of a fever. No, anybody and everybody who's sick, they're bringing to Jesus. From the greatest to the smallest. And you'll notice Luke tells us they have various diseases. Not just fevers. He can heal anyone whom He wills. He can speak into anybody's life and heal anybody that comes to Him. And notice, He does that. He lays His hands on every one of them and healed them. Notice the language, the specific language Luke is using here. I want you to understand every person that was brought to Jesus, He healed. His power, His 
authority, it doesn't diminish. It doesn't grow faint. It doesn't grow weak. Every single person who came to Jesus for a physical need walked away affected and changed by Him. What authority does this man possess? He controls not just the spiritual, but even the physical. All things are subject to Him. Nothing is outside of His control. And it makes us think again, if He can heal the body, can't He heal the soul? If He can heal the body of diseases and cleanse the body of diseases, can He heal and cleanse the heart of sin? Most certainly He can. He has all authority. The world may want to reject His absolute authority, but from these passages, church, it's completely undeniable, isn't it? Let's move on to verse 42, 43, and 44. Jesus has now possessed authority in His words, possessed authority over spiritual things, authority over physical things. Now, He has the authority to proclaim the kingdom gospel in this last passage. So He decides to go to a desolate place as is His custom and meditate and pray and seek the Father. But the people of Capernaum react so differently from those in Nazareth. They seek Him out and they beg Him to stay with them. Luke's contrast here of Jesus' rejection at Nazareth and His acceptance at Capernaum is striking. Fools are they who reject this authority. And blessed are they who submit to it and long for it. The people of Capernaum long for it. They seek Him out and they ask Him to stay. They want to keep Him from leaving them. Verse 42. But Jesus responds, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. That's my purpose, He says. I come and I don't just have teaching with authority, I possess the authority to proclaim the message of God to the world. I convey kingdom truths to humanity. I speak on behalf of the Most High God. That's my authority. Look, look at the progression here. It, it keeps building from Luke. He possesses authority in His words. Then He pr- proves that Authority by His action of casting out a demon and healing many people. Now it all comes to its culmination at the end here. I also have authority to preach the Gospel. What does that mean for us? That means that if we find a man with such authority to cast out demons and to heal every person who comes to him, ought we not listen to such a man? Should we not cling to every word that this man proclaims? Should we not follow the message of this man? Yes, we should. Luke wants us to believe in Christ. Luke wants us to understand the Gospel. Luke wants us to have faith in Jesus. And so he builds up this picture of his authority, his authority, his authority. So listen to his message. And what is his message? His message is first that he is God. He must be respected as God, honored as God, followed as God. 
worshipped as God. His message is also that mankind has sinned and is responsible to God. It does not matter how much you want to deny that truth, how much you want to reject that truth, it is still true nonetheless. Mankind has sinned against a powerful, holy God and are responsible to that Creator God. His message is also that He is a Savior. And He's come to save mankind from such sin, from such condemnation. We have a debt that we cannot pay before a holy, powerful God. And yet, here's the one who's come to pay that debt for us. But His message is also that He is the only way of salvation. No other roads can lead to God except for Jesus. We live in a world that says all religions lead to the same God. Jesus says, I'm the only way that comes to God. I'm exclusive. Nothing else. And He says that all those who are not found forgiven by Him will be condemned by Him. Will be punished by a holy, just God for the sin that they still have in their heart. But the good news is that He takes delight and pleasure in forgiving sinners. That He wants to forgive and extend grace. He wants to extend salvation. He wants to save the soul and make it new. He wants to bring people underneath His banner of authority. Why? Because that's where true life is found. That's where harmony is found. Peace is found. That's where satisfaction is found. So church, I want you to look at this passage this morning and I want you to be struck by the very Savior who came to die on a cross for us. I want you to be struck by the worth that He has, that He is worthy of all of our worship, all of our devotion. And I want you to understand practically that every issue in your life comes from a rejection of this authority. And you get your life in a wreck. And when sin begins to take hold of your heart, it's because you've exchanged this authority for a lie. And the only solution is to come back to Christ. Follow after Him. Listen to His Gospel. The good news that He will forgive sinners who come to Him in faith. I was sent for this purpose. And I want to tell the world about it. And so He does. This morning, you, you need to think about your life. You need to think whether or not you do follow Jesus in such a way as His authority demands. Authority is not a fun word for us to discuss or toss around. But there's freedom here. There's life here in following Jesus. And you need to decide whether or not you are following Jesus. If you are, praise Him for opening your eyes to follow Him. And pray to Him that He would help you to follow Him even more faithfully. But if you're not, let me tell you, He opens His arms readily and widely for you to come to Him for salvation in faith, if only you will.
This authority isn't condemning to us. It's freeing for us. It's life for us. For here is the one who speaks truth. Here is the one who speaks the will of God. And what he says is the way that it is and the way that it will be. And if you want to be saved, he has the message of salvation. Turn to him in faith. And if he really possesses all the authority that we looked at today, then it must be true. So turn to Christ. Come under His yoke. Come under His Lordship, His love. And find peace and satisfaction in Him. Father, we do thank You for this morning, Your Word this morning. We thank You for this beautiful picture and glimpse of how big and majestic You are, Jesus. You command Your enemies. You command the body. You command illnesses. You possess all authority, Lord. Forgive us for every time we reject that authority and go our own way and do what is right in our own sight. Convey to our hearts, O Lord, the freedom that is found in following You. The satisfaction that's found in following Your commands and Your ways. For those hearts that are here this morning, God, that are in turmoil, trying to fix their own lives themselves, let them see the authority that You possess and the message that You proclaim and know it to be true. That if You can cast out the demons and if You can heal the body, surely Your message of salvation must be correct. It is, O Lord. Let the lost be saved. And those of us who belong to You already, let us praise You for the work You've done in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.